This week on Geek Explained, in observance of the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, I'm taking a look back at a comic that represents that period of time to try and see how it's aged, what it says about the characters involved, and what we can learn from it 20 years later. So join me as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Captain America The New Deal. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is going to be a super fun time because we're talking about 9 11. Um, I am going to be completely honest with you folks. I wasn't sure about putting this episode out because um, the things we're going to cover today are very complicated. But I feel like after the episode I did about uh, Superman and his history of social justice, which feel free to go check that out. It's one of my favorite episodes I've ever done for the podcast. Um, I feel like this is an episode that kind of builds on that idea. So this week uh we are doing our latest edition of the geek explained spotlight and we're going to be covering uh john nay reber and john cassidy's captain america the new deal a very um polarizing and a very uh infamous comic when it comes to marvel comics when it comes to post 9-11 comics and when it comes to world or uh war of terror era comics so we're going to be covering all of that kind of looking back on it the legacy it's left behind and really just talking about what goes on because i think the comic's so fascinating and it's going to be a really uh interesting deep dive into a comic that i don't think a lot of people know about or if they do they haven't revisited in a while we also have of course this week's comics countdown we're going to be chatting up all the comics that i think you should be picking up this week but before we get into all of that let's check in with this week's news Alright guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We got a bunch of news to dive into, so let's just go ahead and kick it off. Starting things off with film news, three pieces of film news that I want to talk about real quick. First off, we had news this week that the Mad Max Furiosa prequel, which stars uh, Anya Taylor-Joy as well as Chris Hemsworth, has been pushed back. It has been pushed back from, I believe, its initial date of 2022 all the way back to 2024, so no real word on why it's been pushed back they just know that it's been pushed back so still really looking forward to seeing what they do with it i love fury road uh and we've kind of been chasing the dragon when it comes to getting another film that makes you feel that same way especially when it comes to like a, the mad max franchise so i will be patiently waiting for this film to come out we also got the confirmation disney confirmed that the remaining 2021 release 2021 releases underneath their umbrella will be all theater exclusive based on the success of shang chi uh, i recently saw it for the second time absolutely loved it just as much if not more than the first time but i can understand that this is uh not 
exactly cut and dry. It's not exactly black and white when it comes to this news. It's good, but it's also not great because there are people who are immunocompromised or people who can't get to a theater or people whose towns are completely locked down that they won't be able to see these films. So that is unfortunate, um, but we do know that films like The Eternals, uh, The King's Man, films like that will be uh, released exclusively in theaters. Some films like Shang-Chi will be uh, 45 days in theaters before being released off to streaming so it's you know it's not exactly a great consolation prize but at least it's something um hopefully these conditions and these situations will you know be ironed out as the weeks go by but that is the news for that uh in more positive news we finally got the very first trailer for matrix 4 aka the matrix resurrections and the trailer was great i thought the trailer was really cool um i love the use of the white rabbit song i'm always a sucker for when that comes on and the trailer looks very interesting it looks like we're getting uh, a neo and a trinity who have had their histories wiped they don't remember ever being outside the matrix also yaya abdul mateen the second might be playing a young morpheus or an old morpheus i don't know um i'm very excited and we got to see jessica henwick i love seeing jessica henwick and everything that she's in uh not a lot of info on exactly what is going on also jonathan groff is possibly the next architect maybe a new agent who knows but we will just have to see i thought the trailer looked great can't wait to see more out of that uh next up on tv news we got two big trailers first off for hbo max aquaman king of atlantis released its first trailer it's an animated series which is very polarizing to say the least um the trailer looked fun the trailer looked colorful but it's in that weird animation style that like um flack jack adventure time like really just not great rick and morty kind of animation style that i'm kind of sick of at this point um but it looks fun it looks like a really fun time so i'll be checking it out uh we also got for me the biggest one of the biggest pieces of news for the week uh hawkeye we finally got a trailer the very first trailer for hawkeye as well as a release date for the premiere uh it looks great it's christmas it's a christmas holiday series you know that i am a sucker for christmas you know how much i love that fraction aja run and this this trailer is feeding all of my necessary uh, urges for that kind of content you take the Hawkeye Aja fraction run you smash together with Shane Black and you got this trailer and it looks great I'm really excited to see Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop really excited to see how Jeremy Renner's Clint Barton kind of wraps up his end of the story if it does end here who knows and I'm really excited for it to be a Christmas story I love that kind of stuff it looks really really cool we got glimpses at the uh the tracksuit mafia we got a glimpse at lucky uh we also got the tease more teasing from uh vincent d'onofrio that kingpin might be involved so we'll just have to see and we will be seeing on november 24th so november 24th is when the first episode premieres on disney plus very excited about this cannot wait to see this show 
Uh, Speaking of Marvel, jumping over to comic book news, Marvel made the correct decision in firing Joe Bennett. Joe Bennett, a longtime artist and uh, probably most famously the collaborator and artist on The Immortal Hulk with Al Ewing, uh, pretty much outed himself as a terrible person, being a really garbage human being, and thankfully, even though unfortunately the run of Immortal Hulk is done and dusted when it comes to actual creation, uh, Joe Bennett has been removed from all future Marvel dealings, and as far as we can tell, rumor is he's been let go from his contract with the company. So, I think this is great. Garbage people should not be rewarded by working on awesome stuff, so... Don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out, is all I can say about that. Uh, We also got some news from DC that they have announced a Bat Family webtoon. Batman, the Wayne Family Adventures uh, is is DC Comics' first big um, collaboration with webtoon. Uh, We've talked about it before in a previous episode that they're going to be partnering up with Web Comics and webtoon. Uh, And this looks very much like a slice-of-life webtoon. look into the life between missions when it comes to the bat family everybody's there all of your favorites cassandra kane duke thomas we got a tim drakes we got all of them you got you want robins you got all the robins uh very excited to check this out and uh it sounds like also there might be doing a uh, a dub for this an official uh voice over web comic webtoon dub so keep your eyes out for that as well and then finally rounding things out over in miscellaneous news the playstation showcase we talked last week about how the playstation showcase would be dropping uh last thursday and oh boy drop it did we got some huge news all across but the four biggest pieces of news for me personally were first off we got the announcement that star wars knights of the old republic is getting a remake this game is quite old um it has it definitely shows its age now and now a brand new whole new generation of gamers are going to be able to experience the saga of Darth Revan and that's really exciting I think it's very cool to see this game finally get the remake treatment fans have been clamoring this for years for years and now that it's going to be released I'm assuming on PlayStation 5 uh, they've got every single thing going their way to make this a phenomenal remake we also got two trailers that i was very excited about to see uh spider-man 2 dropped its first trailer featuring both peter and miles uh in updated suits no less but the big news was not the heroes it was the villains the trailer is accompanied by a voiceover by it seems to be Craven the Hunter. Very excited about this. Craven is one of my favorite. He's one of my top five favorite Spider-Man villains. And at the very end of the trailer, we got a peek into a dark alleyway. And out of the alleyway comes venom venom is going to be jumping into spider-man 2 we got the tease for this in the post credit scene for both uh spider-man as well as miles morales so i am very excited to see venom and even more so because they made the announcement that tony todd of Candyman fame also played the voice of zoom in season two of the flash is going to be voicing venom that is ah pitch perfect chef's kiss casting I cannot wait. Absolutely cannot wait. But Insomniac was not done. Insomniac also dropped a trailer for a brand new Marvel hero, that being 
the angry knucklehead himself, Logan. Wolverine is getting the Insomniac Marvel treatment, and this makes me very excited. As a short man who is also a voice actor, uh, this made me very excited. I would love to see um, where this game goes. I mean, selfishly, I would love to get the opportunity to to, uh, try my hand at auditioning, but um, beyond that, I'm just very excited to see Insomniac give Wolverine the treatment that they gave to Spider-Man, making a brand new original story that draws off of elements from the comics, but also making a brand new definitive version of the character. So, super excited about this, but all of that news paled in comparison to the first trailer and um, just stabbing their flag, planting their flag... Sony Santa Monica dropped the first trailer for God of War Ragnarok, the sequel to my 2018 game of the year. Uh, God of War absolutely, or God of Four absolutely blew the roof off of every single gamer's home that ever played the game. And this sequel, which takes place years later from what it looks like, Atreus is older, we see Age is starting to catch up with Kratos as well, and the Thimble Winter is going on. Uh, this trailer is going to be apparently wrapping up the Norse Saga, so it's not going to be a full trilogy, it's going to be a duology. Uh, part 1 and Part 2, essentially, is the Norse Saga for Kratos and Atreus. And we also got our first look at Thor, played by Ryan Hurst, and he is a big, chonky boy. Uh, he's got that solid, giant gut and... This is the most accurate to Norse mythology Thor that I think we've ever seen. I think this is awesome. I cannot wait to play this game. It looks amazing. Uh, I did get pushed back to 2022, which is unfortunate, but take all the time you need. Can't wait to play this game. It is going to be incredible. But that is going to wrap up this week's news. And as we roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, we're going to be taking a special Geek Explain spotlight on John Nay Reber and John Cassidy's Captain America The New Deal. September 11th, 2001 was a day that changed the course of our entire nation. Um, for those of you who lived through it, for those of you who were there for the event, uh, you know how much this date shaped the course of history when it comes to the United States, when it comes to the world at large. And when I was a kid, you know, I took a lot of comfort in my superheroes. I took a lot of comfort in my comic books. And when this, you know, this event happened, I was young enough to not know the ramifications, but old enough to understand that something terrible had happened. And there was a certain amount of fear throughout the entire country and I know that millions of Americans like myself went through a very trying time 
following the events of 9-11. And here we are 20 years later, and it feels like looking back at that time is like looking at a museum exhibit, right? It almost feels like you're looking at time captured in a bottle because everything feels so familiar and yet so alien at the same time. You know, a lot of things were going on during this period of time, the early 2000s, and specifically in superhero media, you know, there was a lot that changed. You know, there was that famous uh, Spider-Man issue that was essentially written up in the days following and released, I believe, the next month or the month after the event happened. And it was not supposed to be a 9-11 memorial issue, but that's exactly what it ended up being. And we talked about that issue in the uh, Spider-Man mini arcs and one-shots episode with Matt Draper. Go check that out if you haven't already. But the thing about comic books and the thing about superheroes in general is there's something so inherently American about them from their inception with Superman being more or less uh, developed out of the ideals of uh, the New Deal and with all of the history behind uh, American history parallel with the uh, ebb and flow of the direction comic books go in, it's no wonder that the, especially Marvel Universe, became incredibly, and I want to use quotations here, patriotic, and became a a very, very much an American-centric publication. Because Marvel was always touted as the world outside your window. And when the world outside your window is subject to an attack like 9-11, uh, there's, uh, there's real no way to ignore something like that when it comes to comic books. And there was no hero that I think showed this the most than with Captain America. Captain America was, at his inception, a propaganda machine for the United States and its efforts in war and its efforts in, you know, uh, all of its influences in the world. Captain America was created in uh, 1941, and he was immediately making a statement with his first cover, punching out Adolf Hitler during the midst of World War II, before we had even joined in the war effort. And since his inception, Captain America has always been this incredibly fascinating character to follow. Because much like Superman in the, uh, check that out, cheap plug for my Superman, A History of Social Justice episode, one of my favorite episodes, um, as you know, the years turned and as the decades went by, you would see most often Captain America comics be shaped by history going on around us, specifically American history. You know, you would see when the Watergate scandal happened and 
Captain America all of a sudden losing faith in the government and finding out that a top-ranking official, rumored to be President Nixon, was a member of Hydra. He quits being Captain America. You know, you'd see him dealing with social justice issues throughout the decades. And so when it came to the events of September 11th, um, you knew that something had to happen with Captain America. In that Spider-Man issue, near the end of the book, you see Cap standing at Ground Zero with Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's inner monologue is basically like, you know, he had to see this twice, and, you know, referencing Pearl Harbor, and now this... And it's fascinating to me to look back at these comics that were published in this era because Captain America's, you know, for all intents and purposes, his history would lend credence to the idea that his comic from this point forward was going to be an America first, patriotic, you know, rah, rah, we're going to go get them kind of book. And the book that we got following the events of 9-11, the book that we are putting the Geek Explained spotlight on this week, was decidedly not that. Um, this book, called Captain America the New Deal, was written by John Nay Reber with art by John Cassidy. John Nay Reber is a name that I'm sure not a lot of people are super familiar with. I myself am not you know, super familiar with a lot of John A. Reber's work. And looking at, you know, his um, his bibliography, looking at the books he's worked on, it's a lot of indie books. It's a lot of Vertigo books, mostly. There's been some books with um, Neil Gaiman, a couple books with Image, Tomb Raider, G.I. Joe. But kind of his big two claim to fame is this Captain America run. You know, this is Captain America Volume 4. I think it lasted for a year, maybe two. And it started off with this initial six-issue arc called The New Deal. And this whole book really, I think, is more known for its art, which lends itself because the art is done by John Cassidy. You know that I love John Cassidy art. John Cassidy is one of my favorite artists of all time, period. Bar none, this guy is a legend. And he's always been at kind of the heart of some of my favorite books. Astonishing X-Men, Need I Say More, uh, the book that he solo wrote and illustrated by himself. And that's it. He's the only person who worked on that book. Um, he provided the art, he provided the interiors, he provided the covers, and if you were just to look at the covers of these initial six issues, you would see exactly the book you would expect coming out of the events of September 11th. Uh, it's very pro-America, it's very... Um, propaganda building just as much as you know his covers were for the 1940s for the entirety of world war ii but as if you look further if you look into the books themselves there's something different here so real quick the plot summary i don't want to spend too much time on the plot here because i definitely think that you should check this out but needless to say Captain America the New Deal was part of the Marvel Knights imprint. Marvel Knights was essentially, hey, let's make our superheroes dark and gritty. Let's give them the TC Comics. I can't say that with a straight face. Uh, let's give them a 
fresh coat of paint, give them a darker edge, and let's just try and tell, you know, more quote-unquote realistic stories. And when it comes to the New Deal, what is more real than the events of one of the most infamous days in American history? So, Captain America Volume 1, The New Deal, entails the post-9-11 attacks. Uh, issue number one starts off, the you know, the whole first issue deals with, you know, Cap in the aftermath of the attacks. There's also a um, an uh, introduction written by Max Allen Collins that kind of talks about the events of 9-11. This specific uh, arc has gotten reprints after reprints recently. I, most recently for this episode, read it on uh, Comixology. Comixology does not sponsor this podcast, but they could totally sponsor this podcast. Um, but it's fascinating to kind of go back and look at this. You know, the I'm, I'm going to do kind of an in-depth look at the first issue because I think it's so fascinating. And then we'll kind of just give you the beats of the rest of the book. Because I do think, especially right now, um, it's worth checking out and worth reading. Because again, it feels like time captured in a bottle. It feels like this completely like... You're all, you know you lived through it, but it's like watching it on a screen and seeing this almost fictionalized version of the United States. It's, it's weird. But so the book opens up with a narration by Steve Rogers uh, as the panels uh, depicting the attacks on September 11th, uh, the falling of the towers, the um, Osama bin Laden, all of that stuff. And the book picks up narratively with Steve in this incredible full-page spread of Steve at Ground Zero. He's not in his costume. He's not wearing the red, white, and blue. He's not even using his shield. He is in street clothes, digging through the rubble of the World Trade Center. And as he is digging his way through, he's looking for bodies. He's looking for survivors and finding none. Um... There's this moment where, you know, a, uh, a first responder comes up and asks, tells him, you know, you know, you, got, you have to sleep. And Steve says, I slept yesterday. And, you know, this is very obviously the day after. This is December or at December, September 12th. And he, as you can see through this. Um, he feels a lot of guilt. He feels a lot of guilt in this book because, as he says, you know, I wasn't here. And he feels like he could have done something, which is crazy, right? You know, a lot of people had the same feeling when, you know, the towers fell. It's like, oh, you know, I could have done something or we could have done something. There's no way that we could have known. Um, conspiracy theories set aside. I'm not going to talk about conspiracy theories. They are what they are. I'm going to set them over to the side here. But we see him kind of recounting the story of... Um, of this couple that he would always see when he was running through or doing his morning run and he saw them, you know, jump out of the tower. And there's this, it's just, um, it's fascinating to look back and really just see the effect that this event had on not just, you know, people in the real world, but also our fiction, our media. And, you know, I think everybody remembers the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man 1, which was supposed to come out uh, around 
the fall of 2001 and got pushed back to 2002. You know, the whole, uh, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, New York, um, New York Declaration. And this is very much kind of in that same vein, right? Um, Steve is at Ground Zero. He's, you know, going through the rubble, trying to find survivors, and he is found by Nick Fury. Nick Fury is a, uh, he's a SOB. Much like all of his depictions, but especially in the uh, early to mid-2000s, Nick Fury is a just, he's a real piece of work. And the two of them get into a bit of an argument because Nick Fury needs uh, needs Steve to suit up his cap and go do things for the United States government. And this is such an incredible, um, incredible book. Uh, because this this look at Steve Rogers is one of the most comprehensive, one one of the most fully formed looks at the character that I've ever seen. And certainly, you know, a lot of people when they kind of look back at definitive runs, definitive depictions of this of Steve Rogers, this is one that will come up fairly often. And not, you know, especially because of the stories that he was in, but because of the characterization of him. Uh, the art here, I'm also, you know, flipping through this as I'm talking about it. Um, the art here, especially in this first half of the issue is stunning because everything is washed out. Everything's these different shades of gray, but Steve's eyes are this like piercing blue and it's just incredible. So, you know, Nick Fury is trying to recruit him to go, you know, get people, you know, get these guys. We got to go. And Steve is, Steve, like, basically picks Nick Fury up by his collar and slams him against a piece of the rubble. And he says, you know, you need me? Look around. They need me. The ones who might have five minutes of breath or blood left before they die. You go be a hero, Fury. I've got work to do. And you see him just go back off into the smoke. And we see that Steve is dealing with, you know, what everybody dealt with following the events of the Towers, you know, there's, you know, anger, there's, you know, regrets, feeling like you could have done something. Um, and eventually, after Steve has done everything that he can do, he does pick the shield back up. But it's not for the reason that you would think in a book like this. It's not for, oh, he's going to go off and get those guys. It's something that not a lot of people talk about when it comes to post 9-11. You know, a lot of people look at that with that time with rose-colored glasses and say, you know, oh, this is, you know, this event where everyone came together and everyone was an American and we all stood up as one people. It's not what happened, unfortunately. There was some of that, absolutely, but there was also a lot of hatred. And, I mean, what would you expect after an event like this? But the hatred was pointed in a direction that was not positive and was not conducive to the people who were I think you know hurt might they may have been hurt the most following this and that was people of color especially people of middle, middle eastern descent um we see this scene where Steve is walking home or walking back to his apartment wherever he's staying and there's this uh there's this guy who works you know who has this bodega, and as he's, you know, walking, they pass, and he's like, hey, you shouldn't be out here by yourself. This man's Middle Eastern descent. And he says, you know, I know what time it is. I know where I am. I live here. My name's Samir, not Osama. My father was born on this street. 
And as Steve, you know, kind of lets him pass, he sees these three guys obviously been drinking. One of them pulls a knife and goes after the guy, goes after Samir. And a lot of times what people kind of overlook is the overwhelming hate towards anyone of Middle Eastern descent following the events of September 11th. You know, they're throw a stone and you will find someone of Middle Eastern descent who had a story like this where they were attacked out of nowhere because they quote-unquote fit the profile and um, this you know this random guy tries to stab Samir you know he says you know killed her killed my Jenny and this is the moment the moment that Steve decides to become Captain America again when he stands up to this guy the guy you know tries to stab Samir the knife breaks on the shield and there's this I don't know how to describe it you know there's this moment where all of the you know grade washed out tones of the book suddenly falls away right the guy you know his knife breaks on the shield he falls backwards and there is just this stunning page of Steve Rogers, Captain America, red, white, and blue, shield up, and the sunrise breaking in behind him, casting this glow upon him. And this, uh, I'm just going to read this, uh, this, uh, box here, the, the uh, narration here. So this is from Steve's, uh, inner monologue. He says, you know, we've got to be stronger than we've ever been, or they've won. We can hunt them down. We can scour every bloodstained trace of their terror from the earth. We can turn every stone they've ever touched to dust and every blade of grass to ash, and it won't matter. We've got to be stronger than we've ever been, as a people, as a nation. We have to be America, or they've won. And this guy, you know, is still cast in the gray tones while the light is just shining almost from Cap onto him. And, you know, they talk about this drunk guy. He's like, you know, he lost his daughter. And Cap says, you know, you've lost someone. I understand you want justice. This isn't justice. We're better than this. Save your anger for the enemy. And Samir kind of, you know, puts his hand on Cap's shoulder and he says, are you, are you going to, like, hey, man, listen, just let him go, okay? And Samir comes to the guy, and he helps him up, you know, from the ground, and he says, you know, I'm sorry about Jenny. She was your daughter? And the two of them have a conversation. They just have a conversation, man. As Cap walks away, um, the inner monologue continues, and he says, we're going to make it through this, we the people, united by a power that no enemy of freedom could begin to understand. We share, we are the American dream. And that is the most, like, um, uh, overt, you know, referencing to September 11th that the book does. And, which is funny, right? Because it gets it all out at the beginning, and then it turns into something else entirely. Uh, But this moment is so beautiful to me. And it's something that not just speaks to Captain America, but speaks to what everyone kind of idealizes as that period of time where everybody came together because the reality is people didn't come together you know i remember being in school with kids who suddenly were being bullied for what they look like and i couldn't understand it as a kid because i was i was too young but looking back on it now it's heartbreaking 
And seeing a scene like this where, you know, people who are so overcome with anger and with loss coming together to try and pick up the pieces and find some common ground is beautiful. And, you know, I wish it was uh, the world that we could see more of today. But what the book does is just like, you know, Cap says, you know, this is the dream. And Cap has famously said, you know, I'm loyal to nothing except the dream. And so we see that as this book carries on. Um, unfortunately, you know, the book picks up seven months later. And, you know, this book was published, or at least these six issues, were published from April of 2002 through December of 2002, after which John Cassidy left the book. John Reber stayed on for, I believe, another six issues to do a whole 12-issue run. Um, But the book then becomes something else, and the book becomes something that I wasn't expecting when I read this. Um, But the book picks up with this Midwestern town called Centerville. And it's Easter Sunday, and there is a uh, a domestic terrorist attack where these um, these landmines, I guess, are parachuted down from the sky, and Steve is brought in in the wake of this attack. Um, he's given these uh, cat tags, these little it looks like little microchips that look like dog tags. Um, Nick Fury, you know, we pick up after the attack straight into the uh, into the plane on the way to Centerville, and Nick Fury's trying to give one of these cat tags to Steve, and he says, you know, they're cat tags, casual casualty awareness tracking. It'll tell us if you're dead, and um, and Cap says, you know, and Nick says, then this freaks game is over. No us running his gauntlet, crawling through those landmines. We go to Delta Force. Cap says, and. Nick Fury says, they'll save as many hostages as they can, but they won't get them all. They're good, but this Altariq, he's a monster. Cap takes the the cat tag, drops it, and then he jumps out of the plane and says, so am I. And the art, I can't get over how stunning this art is. Like, I know I've talked, I've sung John Cassidy's praises before, but it is incredible seeing him go from this into the work that he did for astonishing x-men it's just it's incredible so cap parachutes down to centerville and sees that it is on fire it is in flames it is decimated and cap is once again faced with a post-terror attack that he has to deal with but this time he looks at it as i can do something about this this is still, you know, this is still a hot situation. I can do something here. And so we see him spring into action and him running into the fire. And he's, you know, processing this whole, you know, guilt that he's been holding for seven months where he says, you know, he's running through the uh, through the city and realizing there's no blood, there's no bodies, it's just decimated buildings and sidewalks and vehicles. And he runs through and he say, he says, you know, again, inner monologue, he says, but they're not here, there's no blood on the bike or on the ground. So maybe, maybe this time you're not too late. Please, this time, this time let it not be. There's this moment where he checks in a car, there's no one in there. And he realizes that this isn't just an attack, this is a hostage situation. And so he 
shields up, runs into the fire. And it, again, stunning full page spread where he says, today it matters that you're here. It's going to make a difference. Today there's hope. You're not too late. Telling himself that he can make a difference here. And that's the end of the first issue. Like him just running into the fire, running into the danger to save people. And that's Cap. That's Cap, man. That's what Steve Rogers does. That's what everyone who has held the shield at one point or another represents, running into the danger to help who they can. And as the book carries on, um, there's a lot of Cap dealing with not just this Alteric person who has staged this terror attack on the small town, but it's Cap not just dealing with him, but also dealing with the possibility that the U.S. government might be involved in some of the uh, some of the goings on here. You know, there's Cap fighting through domestic terrorists, terrorists that look more Caucasian than Middle Eastern. I might add, uh, take from that what you will, but. Him going through learning about, you know, there, there's this great moment in issue two where he's like, he's um, comparing the destruction to when he was uh, in World War II. And he says, you know, he was, he was 19. He was 19 when he got the super soldier serum. And so he's going through, you know, the remains of a bombing in World War II. And it's like, it's, it shows like how much it's shaken him as a young man. And now he's... He's weathered, he's experienced, and he knows that to prevent more of this, he needs to get into action and not be affected as much as um, as he could be. And again, I have to stress that this book deals with a lot of um, a lot of tense topics, a lot of um, very difficult things to talk about. This episode in itself, like is a very serious episode in it and I don't usually cover things that have this much I don't know weight behind them but I I just reading this again I had to talk about it and again I have to stress that the book when you look at the covers is seems very one-dimensional very propaganda very like oh yeah you know Captain America wants you are you doing your part fight terror all this stuff but the book in itself is cap dealing with his own feelings about the events of 9-11, dealing with his guilt, dealing with, you know, the aftermath, the xenophobia, the hate that everyone was dealing with while trying to fight this new threat that he has been forced into. You know, he ends up saving the uh, saving the citizens of the small town from Al-Tariq and his uh, his terrorists while chasing down this mystery because once he finds Al-Tariq he you know he incapacitates him knocks him out but then he sees wrapped around his neck one of the cat tags that Nick Fury was trying to give Cap and it goes from this green blinking light to a red light and all of a sudden he's dead Cap didn't kill him but he's dead and so Cap spends the rest of this um, of this journey trying to hunt down these cat tags. What's the deal with them? Why are they here? And what um, what connection do they have? And why do domestic terrorists have this technology that Shield also has that the U.S. government also has? Uh, there's also this great moment at the end of. Uh, issue three, I want to say, where uh, Cap, after you know, after disabling Alteric and him, you know, his life being ended by this cat tag. Spoilers. Um, 
there's a film crew there. And Cap, you know, stands up and he says, you know, I want to find this real quick. Uh, here we go. So he says, I need to say something. And he faces the camera and he says to the people, where I stand, I don't see war, I see hate. I see men and women and children dying because hate is blind. Blind enough to hold a nation accountable for the actions of a man. I can't be part of that after what I've seen today. America didn't kill Faisal al-Tariq. And he takes his his helmet off and he says, I did. And this is, this again, speaks to the themes from the first issue, right? Where it's blaming a people for the actions of an individual. And up to this point, you know, his secret identity had more or less been kept, um, kept secret. Steve Rogers and Captain America were two different people, but this was the turning point where, much like a lot of superheroes in the 2000s, secret identities went away. Secret identities were not in vogue anymore, and now the popular thing was to be a public superhero. And so we see throughout the rest of the story, as Cap is trying to hunt down the... uh, the secrets behind the cat tags. You see him openly uh, bust into a U.S. Uh, silo that is containing not just uh, Nick Fury, but also high-ranking government officials. Um, him wanting answers, government not tr- you know trying to be uh, secretive and trying to be evasive, and him not taking any of that, which is great. Um, there's also this amazing moment where he's leaving the space after having busted through half of it, and the the lone guard at the gate, you know, salutes him. Cap kind of looks at him, sees him saluting, and, you know, he says, I'm not an officer, Lieutenant, and he salutes back. And the guard says, I know who you are, sir. We all know. And Cap says, thanks. I'm glad someone does. And he, like, leaves. And I just, I love that. And he so he goes off chasing down leads, um... There's this great moment at a fireworks display because I believe this issue came out around July, maybe. Um, it makes sense with the timeline, I think. But there's this great page where um, Cap is driving by this, a on his motorcycle, of course, driving by this fireworks display, and these kids and their dads see him riding by. And one of the kids says, you know, Joel, Joel, look, it's that superhero guy from TV, I swear. And the other kid says, he took his mask off. He's not a superhero. Dad says, just a hero. Like, people could do a lot of the stuff he does if they... And then the dad pipes up and he says, if we cared as much and tried as hard. And that, that, my dear listener, is the thesis statement behind not just Captain America, but this book. If we cared as much as some of the superheroes that we love and adore and deify, if we cared as much and tried as hard... We could do things. We could do incredible things. We could do extraordinary things. We could do super heroic things. And as Cap, you know, deals with another terrorist attack trying to kill him, you know, as he is trying to, you know, keep these people safe at this fireworks demonstration away from these uh from these terrorists that are trying to kill Cap, there's this great moment where Cap has like disabled all of the all of them, and then there's one that's like slowly crawling towards a gun, and Cap kind of stands over him. There's this again, great, great page where you know the guy says, "Oh, there's a gun," and Cap stands over him and he says, "It may be loaded, but it won't make you a soldier." And I know I'm reading into it a lot, but again, like 
cat basically saying like, hey, gun laws. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's this, um, I don't know, there's this incredible, um, there's this incredible familiarity with a lot of the uh, topics that this um that this book tackles and it being 20 years old is incredible. Um, as cap continues to chase down the leads on the cat tags, uh, he comes to find out that they were from a essentially red skull stand in, right? Steve heads to Germany where, you know, this is one of the first times I think the book kind of says it's one of the first times that he's been back to Germany since the war. And he's tracked down the source of the cat tags and it's this, Red Skull stand-in, right? This terrorist with a messed up face who, you know, reveals that the cat tags are something that this company that he started developed to, you know, hand off, you know, to give the impression that these cat tags will make you immortal. Because all the terrorists that have them are like, this makes me immortal. And then they're killed by these cat tags. And what it comes to, uh, what it turns out is that they were advertised as you know being able to make its soldiers immortal whoever has them and of course the u.s government decides to just dive into them without doing any kind of research or any kind of background on them and that's what got us started on this in the first place it's war profiteering that's what it is as it comes down to it you know this guy who isn't really ever given a name um is giving these tags to both sides of this war on terror. And through that has seeded his influence throughout the world. So again, it's feeding into that paranoia um, that, again, very Hydra-like, oh, it can be anyone kind of sentiment. And then as, you know, they have this, you know, fight, in this crumbling building in Germany, uh, the two of them are battling with each other, and uh, the the guy is basically talking about how, you know, he got started because his, you know, his family was killed by American bullets, American weapons, and American soldiers. And so he, and he keeps asking Steve, you know, where am I from? And the thing that's fascinating about this is that every single time, you know, where am I from? Where am I from? Steve never answers because truthfully, this guy could be from anywhere. America has a lot of enemies, and they've done a lot of terrible things. And, you know, uh, the guy says, you know, you know your history, Captain America. Tell your monster where he's from. And Cap, you know, continues to fight against him. And he says, you know, we've changed. We've learned. Um, he says, this is wrong. And, you know, the two of them continue to battle. He says, you know, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, so he pins down the guy and he's like, we've learned from our mistakes. But you, you say you've seen the innocent die, known that loss, felt that suffering. You're blind. He says, you haven't seen anything but your own pain, your own hate, or you die before you cause another man that pain. Any man, any woman, any child. You're no better than the warlords who created you, wherever you're from. And his final inner monologue goes like this says they'll always be with us but the genghis khans the caligulas the hitlers the monsters with their blood hunger and their murderous toys and their lies but we can stem the tide of blood defy the shadow defend the dream we the people we all have the freedom and the power to fight for peace and he doesn't let this guy die 
he pulls him out of the rubble, and the final shot is him pulling him out of the rubble up towards the light. And again, this speaks to the idea that hate does not equal justice, that hate does not equal, um, that hate does not equal balancing the scales it just causes more hate more pain more suffering and ultimately that's what this book is about it's about fighting against that hate fighting against that pain fighting against that terror and taking all of the pain all of the anger and putting it towards making sure that no one has to face that ever again it reminds me actually of um this doctor who episode you know this two-parter the peter capaldi era you're i'm sure you know what i'm talking about it's the zygon two-parter where he says you know i you know every time i close my eyes i see the terrible things i've done and i made a vow to myself that no person no man no woman no child would ever have to feel the same pain that i feel it's the same exact sentiment as this book it's the same exact sentiment you know, sentiment that we should be carrying. Because unfortunately, when we look at, you know, the 20 years that have passed, there's a lot that we haven't learned. There's a lot that we haven't, um, that we haven't grown from. We're still doing terrible things all over the place, both at home and abroad. But I think what we can learn from this book, what we can learn from Cap, what we can learn from, you know, his example in this book and in, you know, just our day-to-day lives is that you don't have to hate someone to try and make the world a better place. You know, if you have been hurt, if you have felt pain, if you have felt loss, if you have felt hate, you don't need to impress that on other people to you know balance the scales or whatever you know the idea of fighting for peace is something that can be misconstrued and something that can be you know um appropriated to give terrible people the you know um excuse that what they're doing is right because they're trying to you know fight for security but just like in captain america the winter soldier freedom doesn't equal security Freedom doesn't equal, you know, trying to impress your values and your um, prejudices on other people because you feel that you've been wronged in some way. And this is very heavy. Uh, I didn't expect, I I mean, I don't know what I expected with this episode. But um, what this book does so well is reestablish Captain America for a modern generation. And even now, 20 years later, I think it's held up. You know, there are certain things about it that don't. You know, this idea that, you know, America is, you know, fighting our sin- the sins of our past and we're trying to be better. In this book itself, you know, the government is m- still making mistakes and still f- seeding, um, seeding fear and hate throughout the world. But what Cap is fighting for is the thing he's always been fighting for. It's the dream, the American dream, the dream that people are able to live in peace and in freedom and able to decide their own destiny without having to force anyone's destiny on anyone else. And as we look back at this book, as we look back at September 11th, 20 years later, there is, I think, no greater crusade no greater quest no greater venture than to 
defend the dream and fight for peace. And the only way that we're going to do that successfully, the only way we're going to accomplish that is together. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, there was it was very tough competition. But ultimately, I chose Daredevil number 34, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Giacchetto. Um, this book, man, Daredevil is firing on all cylinders. This was the penultimate issue. Uh, the next issue is going to be it for this run of Daredevil before we dive into Devil's Reign and possibly Daredevil's plural following that. But everything's coming to a head. I absolutely love the dual stories, the dual narratives of uh, Matt and Elektra, each fighting their own battle. Just a wonderful, wonderful book all around. And I'm very excited to see the conclusion of this. But that's last week's book. Take a look back at this week's books, and this week we have, once again, 10 books to check out. So let's go ahead and dive into it. First off, we have Wonder Woman number 779. This is written by Jordi Belair, Michael Conrad, and Becky Cloonan, with art by Travis Moore and Paulina Ganeshow. And I think this is the conclusion of this current uh, arc for Wonder Woman. So it has been a winding tale of Wonder Woman in the God Sphere, and it looks like this is going to be a pretty, pretty fantastic showdown with Janice. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. All good things must end. Genesis's murderous rampage through the multiverse leads Diana and her allies to a place in between worlds where Wonder Woman will come face to face with her darkest fear, a future without her in it. Plus, in our tale set years ago, Princess Diana's quest for truth comes to a thrilling conclusion. So yeah, I would assume this would be it, and then they'd have probably 780 kick off a brand new uh, brand new arc, probably a brand new creative team as well, considering how much they've been shifting that around when it comes to the Wonder Woman book. But I've been enjoying it so far, really looking to see how it all finishes up. Next up, we have Iron Man, number 12, written by Christopher Cantwell, with art by Angel Unzueta. And this book has taken quite the turn for me. <laughs> uh, this book has been very, very good. I've been enjoying it so far. Not at all what I thought the book was going to be when the first issue came out. But I've loved this cosmic tale for Tony Stark. This cosmic redemption for Tony Stark as well. And the last little mini arc that we had with the uh, sanctuary, the paradise, where he came face to face with Stilt Man, uh, was very good. And I'm excited to see it kind of come back to the main line. We'll see what happens here let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here let us now cross over iron man is a long way from earth he now stands on the decks of galactus's warship tatu in deep space and though he doesn't have to face the world eater himself this time around he certainly has to deal with the ship's most brutal and lethal defenses if he manages to survive those it's only a matter of moments before tony stark will have to turn around and confront his fiercest foe of recent memory korvac 
Tony must also face the Mad Android's zealous disciples, all of whom have a personal axe to grind with the Golden Avenger. The Controller, Unicorn, Blizzard, and their most recent addition, a robotically enslaved original Human Torch. This showdown has been a long time coming, but Tony wasn't counting on five against one odds. Tony needs backup. Tony could use some friends. So that sounds exciting. It does sound like we're getting into the final stretch of this uh, this specific arc. And I am excited to see how they wrap this one up as well. Next up, we have Superman and the Authority number three. This is written by Grant Morrison with art by Mikel Janine. And I've really dug the last two issues. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel after the first issue, but the second issue really brought me back. And I love the team that they've set up. I'm really excited to see exactly what they're doing with this book because I'm not sure what their overall goal is. So I'm really excited to see what Grant Morrison has cooked up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Superman put the authority back together. But why? What threat is out there that only this group can contend with? The ultra-humanite, of course. This fearsome foe is forming a team of his own, one designed to go fist-to-fist with the authority. It will be their baptism in battle to prove if Superman is right with regardless of who we are, there is a hero lurking inside even the worst of us. This penultimate issue is an important chapter in the new Superman mythos, helping to set up where Clark Kent goes next and who he goes there with. So yeah, I forgot this was only four issues, <laughs> but it's been really good so far, and it does sound like this is going to have some far-reaching consequences, so looking forward to that. Next up, we have Marauders number 24. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto, and I am very excited. I love Phil Noto's art, but... The Marauders find themselves in a very interesting place post-Hellfire Gala. They, their job has almost been made harder, so I'm excited to see this new direction for the Marauders. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Space Pirates. The Marauders hit the highest seas of all when they point their bow to the stars. But what threat awaits them, and why has it sworn vengeance? It's probably bow, not bow. But anyway, um, space pirates, marauders in space, 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 space. That sounds really fun. Um, and the cover looks really cool, too. I love Dotterman's art. I just do. Um, looking forward to this for sure. Next up, we have I Am Batman number one. This is written by John Ridley with art by Olivier Coipel. Uh, This is it. This is Jace finally stepping into his role as the next Batman. Um, I'm very excited about this. I've been looking forward to this for a while, and I am even more excited because we're getting that sweet, sweet Quapel art. It's going to be very, very good. Can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. In the throes of Future State, the streets of Gotham City cry for justice, and Jace Fox answers the call. With a new and improved Batsuit, Jace hits the streets to inspire and protect. As he follows the trail of the voice of misinformation and violence, the anarchistic anti-oracle. Can the new Dark Knight counterbalance their plan to inspire armed rebellion in the citizens of Gotham? Can one man inspire a city? 
That sounds dope. I'm very excited to pick this up. Cannot wait. Next up, we have Fantastic Four Life Story number four. This is written by Mark Russell with art by Sean Izakse. And I feel like it's been a little bit since we got this issue, since we got a new issue from this book. Um, again, time is a flat circle. I might be completely wrong. It might have just come out a couple weeks ago, but I cannot wait to pick this up. This is going to be the 80s, I believe. No, the 90s. So this is the 90s. Galactus is here, and I am looking forward to it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Against the backdrop of the freewheeling 1990s, Ben Grimm reflects on love and loss as the Fantastic Four prepare to do battle against Galactus. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Fantastic Four, Galactus, they have been on a collision course from the very get at this point. Um, And I'm excited to see Galactus finally come to Earth, and in the 90s, no less. This is going to be a great time. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Justice League, Last Ride number 5. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Miguel Mendoncha. Um, I've been loving this book. I think it's been fantastic. And if this was the mainline Justice League book, I would not be complaining one bit. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Apocalypse. Not as safe a place to hide a war criminal as you'd think. The Justice League has been tasked with bringing the master of war crimes, your one and only Lobo, to trial in order to account for a life of treachery. But while the League thought Apocalypse would be the safest place to store a wanted murderer, there are others out on the hunt for Lobo. So yeah, we finally got the reason why the Justice League had been fractured last issue, and now we get to catch up with the current story where uh, Lobo's a hot ticket, and the Justice League is going to have to protect him before his court date. So very excited to pick this up. We're nearing the end of this, I think. I think it's either a six or eight issue mini, but I've been loving this book so far. It's very, very good. Next up, we have The Mighty Valkyries, number five. This is written by Jason Aaron and Tarun Gronbeck with art by Mattia de Eulis. And this book, man, this book is amazing. I love this book so much. I wish it would come out. I wish there would be more of it. I wish this wasn't just a mini uh, because I really, I love this creative team. The art is stellar. The writing is fantastic. And I love the focus on Jane Foster and our brand new Valkyrie. I think it's been fantastic so far. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. New gods bring fresh hell to the Valkyries. A new pantheon emerges from the dusty gates of hell, one that Queen Carnilla thought she could control. But she was wrong, and now all the realms must pay the price. Jane and Rona fight to save the gods and restore the mortal world. Don't miss the conclusion to Jason Aaron, Torun Gronbeck, and Matia de Eulis's realm-shaking epic. Yeah, so this is it for the book. I'm sad, but hopefully this opens the door for more Valkyrie adventures down the line. Next up, we have Batman 89 number 2. This is written by Sam Hamm with art by Joe Canones. Um, I loved that first issue. This is issue number 2 of 6, and the first issue blew me away. I love the art. I love the storytelling. I cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
A showdown in Burnside leaves both Batman and the Gotham Borough reeling. As the community rallies together behind Harvey Dent, can Bruce find a way forward for both Batman and the city? Sweet, short, to the point, I love it. I am. I love the aesthetic. I love the world that they've built for this. Um, this is just. It's. It's amazing. That joke you know is art, man. You. I can't get away from it. I love it so much. Um, it's very, very good. This book is dynamite. You need to be picking this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is the Trial of Magneto, number two, written by Leah Williams with art by Lucas Wernick. Uh, this first issue knocked me on my ass and I loved every second of it I thought it was wonderful I love the direction we're going um with Inferno on the horizon this book has big consequences and some big time ramifications cannot wait to pick this up and we're getting X-Men and Avengers versus Magneto so that's always a good time let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here habeas corpses Heroes of the Marvel Universe came to Krakoa for a memorial. Now they've got a fight. Magneto pushes Krakoa and the council to the brink. Also, there's something wrong with the body. Ominous. Very ominous. I love this. Very excited. You know how I am with murder mysteries. I am super excited. I'm chomping at the bit to read this book. Cannot wait. But that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Wonder Woman number 779, Iron Man number 12, Superman and the Authority number 3, Marauders number 24, I Am Batman number 1, Fantastic Four Life Story number 4, Justice League Last Ride number 5, The Mighty Valkyries number 5, Batman 89 number 2, and X-Men The Trial of Magneto number 2. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions especially, they really do help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm and kind of raises our stock up and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here on the podcast. You can join the likes of our Almost Dirty Dozen, including Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, and Alok and AZ. I want to say a big thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geek Explained mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want maybe a quick pitch, uh, perhaps even some recommendations for comics that we haven't covered on this podcast yet, feel free to email me, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read your email here, just like our good brother in front of the podcast, Gaius McCain, who wrote in this week, he says, hi Eric, hello, I watched your Boomer's Big Score episode and I loved it, definitely do more of those heist movie pitches, I love me some heist movies. But what are your favorite heist movies? I like Cruella and Fast Five. I was not aware that Cruella was a heist film. I wasn't going to watch it because I have not heard especially good things about it. But 
If it's a heist film, I'll give it a watch. But yeah, Fast Five, I love. It's dumb, but it's really fun. I love the Oceans movie. Specifically, the first one is so good. Um, The second and third one don't quite capture how good that first one is, but they're all very good. Um, I also really love Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky is one of my favorite heist films. Um, I just love that kind of... um, that kind of like low rent heist film. Uh, that's something that definitely in- influenced me in uh, Boomer's Big Score. Um, and yeah, just films that give you a set goal. Also, I love the heist elements from Ant Man. Uh, underrated Marvel film, I will say. But just yeah, I love the idea of heist films. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful film genre, and there should be more heist films all the time. So those are some of my favorites, guys. Thank you so much for writing in. Also, a quick thing. I want to wish a happy belated birthday to good brother and friend of the podcast, the real deal himself, Brian Real. I know his birthday was at some point this past week, so we here at the Geek Explained podcast, we as in me, want to wish you a very happy birthday. And thanks so much for listening each week. But uh, one last thing, if you do want to keep up to date on the podcast, if you want to participate in polls that decide future episodes i'm actually going to be putting a poll up this week as i am recording this uh or if you just want to talk to me about the latest geeky news there's a lot going on and i'd love to chat you up feel free to uh follow us on twitter and instagram i am more active on twitter but i'm trying to get more active on instagram as well uh you can follow us at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained pod on instagram and twitter and uh yeah look out for a poll that i'm going to be doing I'm thinking of bringing back the weekly review for the newest season of Doom Patrol. So follow us on Twitter, let your voice be heard, and let me know if you want to see me bring the weekly review back. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. A heavy, heavy episode. Um, Some subject matter that we don't really cover uh, on the podcast usually if this is your first episode of our podcast um, it's not usually like this it doesn't usually cover such heavy topics but with the 20th anniversary of September 11th this past week as well as uh, my love of Captain America comics and the fact that I hadn't read the new deal in a while um, I really wanted to just kind of sit down and talk about it and once I read it I knew I had to do an episode so I hope you enjoyed it Look forward to our next episode next week, a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.